Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon Torrance, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on proof of afterlife, whose mission is to bring hope and inspiration to others and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. If these interviews resonate with you and you want to hear more like them, you can support the podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing with like-minded friends. Thank you so much, and thank you for being a part of the Magic is Real family. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hello, Magic is Real listeners. Thank you so much for being here today. My guest today is Jacob Cooper. I'm so honored to have him here today. Jacob is a healer. He's a speaker. He's the author of the book, Life After Breath, which is the story of his near-death experience and the insights that he gleaned from this experience, which of course we're going to talk about today. He is a psychotherapist. Um, and instead of, those are the bullet points, but I always like to start Jacob by saying, well, first of all, welcome and thank you for being here. Oh, a true honor. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's great to have you. Uh, I like to actually have you tell us what it is that you do for people, because I know that you are of service in so many ways to others. And I think only you can really speak to your personal experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I try to do the best that I can to reach people from the ground up. Uh, I think obviously, in the field that I'm in between both worlds, uh, there's a monopolization on one way to do things. And we're multidimensional beings requiring multidimensional resources and needs. And so I always try to find cunning ways to reach people where their feet are at and to not bypass you know, current situations. So if that's coming to me for a psychotherapy session or hypnosis session, past life regression session, or just you know, hearing me you know, speak, like I run you know, all these workshops you know, throughout the world, um, it, to me, I, I guess what kissed me up is making sure that everyone gets something from a micro or macro interaction. You know. Oh, that's so well said. And that's, that's beautiful. What a, what a gift to be able to do this kind of work. Um, normally, I start out by asking my guests about their childhood and uh, what happened before their near-death experience. Hmm. But your story is a little bit different because you experienced your, your experience uh, when you were three years old. Uh, why don't we start there? Tell us, tell us what happened. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, my near-death experience uh, speaks to most of us in a sense that from, you know, before we got here, we come from, come from a place of wisdom, understanding, clarity, and an all-knowingness, um, and we come into this finite body, and, you know, some people hold on to a little bit of that recall, and, and some forget, but either way, you know, the doorways to the truth is in the stillness of the mind and the quiet of the heart. And my near-death experience really allowed me uh, to find myself by willing to lose myself. And, you know, this was due to the contraction of pertussis, otherwise known as whooping cough, which is a highly contagious, fatal, you know, condition for infants or children, even some rare cases, adults. Uh, so, you know, I, I suffocated as a result of whooping cough, and I was able to find from the deprivation of my own oxygen, a whole new breath, which was the breath of eternity that we're all bestowed and created from. Wow, that's so. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Um, I know that when you experienced this, obviously it was extremely traumatic and very painful. What happened once you, I mean, you can explain it in any order that you like, um, but what was it that actually um, 
caused your your soul to to exit this body and uh, go to whatever people call uh, the the other side, the other dimension, mm-hmm. and explain to us and maybe what you call it. I always say in my workshops, when we let go, our consciousness grows. And for me, my body, there was nothing for me to hold on to. I was in a playground at three years old in September of 1993. And there's a lot of allegorical and symbol- symbology behind my NDU, which we could get into. But I was a child innocently playing in, in a playground. And I was climbing up a ladder on a slide and I began to suffocate. Um, you know, I guess it's, you know, with whipping cough, you start coughing, you, you know, it leads to suffocation. Uh, but you know, I, I lost my breath, which unless you're on a ventilator and even then, you know, that doesn't cause us to continue to breathe. If you lose your, bre- your breath, it's pretty hard for the body to function, you know, properly, you know, and so everything just began to shut down within my body as if you're in a home and take a power breaker and shut one switch at a time. And, you know, it was kind of like going into a car and trying to rev up your engine, your engine isn't working. And so you know, my body wasn't properly functioning due to this suffocation. And, you know, once that happened, um, there was nothing for me to hold on to. So it's just kind of like in this place where I wasn't in my body, but I wasn't on the other side yet. And it just felt like an eternity of, of kind of hell, so to speak, you know, at this period where I was just wasn't here, wasn't there. And the breath isn't some something that we just take for granted. We don't even think about, but it what keeps us human and alive and in this body and having that taken, you know, I think was a double-edged sword, which allowed me to recall this experience, you know, in vivid clarity from such a young age, but also the, with that came from that was was incredible trauma, um, you know, as well as you know, you know, brain trauma to my brain because that I had from my brain suffocating, shutting down, you know, do the deprivation of oxygen, and I think once from what I experienced, once my brain, to answer your question, and not go in circles, once my brain was deprived of oxygen and literally just felt it snap in half was when I was able to cross over. And so I really see the brain as the filter between the two worlds. And that's really been an impetus behind my work in mindfulness and hypnosis to have the mind and the brain not work uh, against us, but work for us, you know, and, and using the brain and the mind, not letting it use us. Yeah, I love that you talked about that. I've, I'm so interested in this topic of neuroscience and spirituality as it relates mm. to spirituality and our consciousness, mm. yeah. who we are and how we can train our mind um, to work uh, advantageously because it does work against us. And that's why we always say the mind is a powerful thing um, right. because right. we can manifest so many things. Um, what really strikes me about your story is that you were so young and you remember it so vividly. Now I have a very clear memory of being three because it was sort of a traumatic time for me, not, not severe, you know, beautiful family and everything. I was very well loved and cared for, but there was a lot of um, emotional stuff going on and um, kids being unkind to me and me having severe anxiety disorder and being in therapy at age two and three. So for anxiety, so I'd love to hear, it, it's sort of, it fascinates me. And I absolutely mm. believe 100% that the reason people remember these things is because it's, they say it's realer than what's here, um, that this is more of an illusion and what's over there is um, actually more real. And when I say over there, I understand that to be 
it's here. <laughs> it's here. Oh, we right, just right, don't necessarily right. see it. So forgive the terminology. But yeah, I'd love to hear what you experienced and what you do remember. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just talking to my friend, Dr. Raymond Moody, who coined the term near-death experience. We both agree that the near-death experience, having the term death in it is the opposite of any experience that you have. It's the ultimate life experience, which why he, you know, authored the book Life After Life, because he wanted to really emphasize that this as a rebirth and an expansive experience that had, to, you know, the death of the body is real, but the death of the soul cannot ever exist you know, infinites cannot be finite. Uh, but but for me, I had, from this near-death experience, I was able to have encounters of my own spirit guides. I saw an endless sea of angels that was, like you said, literally in front of me. And I was able to have an understanding that the other side, you know, felt like a million miles away, but it was also right here too. Uh, you know, if something is infinite, you can't say, okay, it's right here. You know, it's it's everywhere. It's all around us and in the doorways of our own heart. We're forever connected to heaven. It's not, you know, a, a specific place on a GPS map. It's all that we're a part of. And we're even, you know, I don't think we're here to create heaven on earth. We're a part of heaven here on this earth, you know, and we have to find ways to remember that there's no real separation other than their own forgetfulness, you know, and tricks of the mind of this physical reality. But I experienced, you know, countless, you know, angels floating very peacefully in front of me, my own spirit guides, Christ consciousness. I had an awareness of what I could best describe as the all that ever is and ever was and the endless climactical, never-ending pinnacle of life force itself, which to me, which was God, to, to the best description. Uh, I had encounters with soul family members, and I was given a life review of not only this lifetime, but different imagery from past carnations. And I use the term past because that speaks to the linearity of the mind and how it processes, but not to the experience itself. As you know, when I went to the other side, I recognized the timelessness. And the best way I could describe it was in this energy of all was well, will be well, was well, and not having anything that I needed. It was, it was just in a place of infinite abundance. And you know, infinite love. And uh, what I would say is that's diametrically opposite to our experience. We're used to in order to, to feel something, we need to do something, or we're used to worrying about what's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what do we have to pence ourselves up from, or as Lao Tzu would say, what's causing us in the past to be depressed or in the future to be anxious. But it really does speak to, to you know, to what I work with in mindfulness as this eternal moment of grace that's available to us at all times. And that's reality itself. Everything else is just a trick of the mind and a blockage from the true reality at hand. Um, but I was aware of my own dharma as well, you know, because uh, I asked, you know, a lot of near-death experiencers have two options. They, they're either told by the beings of light or their counsel that they have to stay or they're given an option. And my, you know, angelic team, soul family, you know, put me in a positionality of, of autonomy. And I said, well, if, if I do stay, then what's going to happen? And then I was provided with flashing imagery of different, uh, different acts and different um, ways to serve and, and to have continuity of the ultimate eternal continuity of life after uh, death, so to speak, and my own life's work. And I just said, as beautiful and divine um, as the other side is, um, you know, making it on this side is, is even a grander opportunity and something that I couldn't turn down so that we didn't have to wait till the body goes to go to heaven, that we could really experience this 
in this moment. And with, you know, with that, everything dissipated in my spirit guides, just, I was in endlessly of doubt for turning down heaven and, you know, just coming back to this body. And I think in a way it speaks to us where we have all this charting phase that happens in the life between life phase, which, you know, Michael Newton in his books highlights, but, you know, it sounds good over there. Then when you get here, it's like, oh my God, you know, cause it's a much, you see things from a much different vantage point on both sides. Um, had some doubt and I was just kicking myself as to what I was thinking. And, you know, really the, the profound message was the power of thoughts, the power of intention, the power of trust in spirit over our own judgments, our own fears. And I think that's very symbolic of a lot of our life's work is trust, you know, and learning like a model looks at a lens, they don't look at it, they look through it and to look through life and not just at it at, at a superficial vantage point. Um, so, I mean, with that, everything dissipated and was from the power of choice the power of choosing and i think that's how we're all born in a way it's 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 a choice you know it is intention there is a path you know for this but you're also very much aware that i was in my body you know people were calling me on the ground and i was aware of angels in front of me uh but i just was aware of this other form past the meat suit of the body that i that i had you know to the side of my body you know i was able to have a lot more awareness of all the people around me in the park that day I was in the playground that day and I knew a lot more about them that would meet the eye and it was just fascinating to how much more is underlying the surface uh, but the best you know the message I got is all is connected to spirit all is from spirit you know we could think that we are not that but we cannot not be who we truly are if that makes sense <laughs> absolutely and I have so many questions about each little thing you right. said right. plus I also want to cover so much more but one of the things that um it I keep hearing that keeps coming up is first of all that message of trust which I had just shared that I'm getting tattooed on my wrist and I've never oh. had a tattoo before because I've always been so precious about this meat suit like right, right. this is my one and only I'm not I don't you know I don't want to uh, mar it anymore but I'm doing it as like a release of that is it uh, to say this is just a meat suit you can draw right. on it um not yeah. anything crazy but I want I'm putting trust because of this theme that keeps coming up in this work mm. that we do and the, and the discussions that we have about it is so hard to trust when we're here because there's so much so many challenges, which is, right, right. I would assume, why we're here. Um, and I'd love to hear uh, more about that. But also in your work, I'd love to know, how is it that you help people to get to that place of, of uh, better flow and better trust? Mm. Yeah, you know, I mentioned previous carnations, you know, one of what I experienced in my near-death experience as well as as a child was this lifetime in which I took my own life, which has been evidentially validated by psychics and mediums before, you know, I became public with my experience and I chronicled that in life after breath. So the validation of it was, was given to me of these kind of like haunting imagery, but I took my own life, you know, my last carnation and within my NDE, I was able to see, you know, the children that I had an impact on and, and the chrono, chrono, you know, the chronology of events that led to, my own suicide and as well as what happened after suicide where I wasn't put a place in a place of purgatorial judgment it was just coming back to the light but also the clear understanding that I forgot who I was I forgot what I was connected to I had more placement in the outer world than the inner world you know and the outer world should just merely be a reflection of the inner world and I think a lot of people live from the outside in versus the inside out 
And so I think from completion we begin, I think my near-death experience spoke to what I experienced when I committed suicide, in which my back was against the wall. And I, I think from speaking to our own self and going through those experiences, we're able to really be present with others who are going through that. And I think, you know, if you look at any powerful guides or any powerful influential individuals, you know, it's not that their lives are perfect all the time. They go through the great depths of um, suffering. It's kind of like the phoenix out of the ashes, but they're only able, and I think everything is about the experiential reality. And sometimes we see things as a face value because we have egocentric identities. We think that it's all about us, but really we're all here to be guides to others. And I think the best way to embody God is to find yourself within service, which is a principle in Alcoholics Anonymous, but really, you know, to me, the embodiment of God is being there of service and having a ripple effect, you know, within your life. But the inner death experience is very uh, symbolical, you know, with what I experienced in suicide and, you know, trusting the light at the end of the tunnel, trusting the, the infinite light over my own fear, knowing that whatever you're experiencing is not, you know, to, to break you, but rather to make you in a way and to evolve your own spirit and to allow you to trust, to turn trust into a knowing that we, in the long run, we can never truly damage, we can never truly die, you know, we're infinite, brilliant, you know, beautiful, you know, spirits, and sometimes it's looking at darkness, like I experienced in the deprivation of oxygen, to look at it, and to understand the infinite light behind that, as all there ever is, was, and will be, and I don't know which is more euphoric, looking at that infinite light, or having the catharsis of darkness as nothing more than the value that we praise it as, it's truly, coming back to the nothingness of which it came and understanding that light when you burn everything away is all that there is left. Much like Wayne Dyer would speak about when you squeeze out an orange, all that is left is you know orange juice and you squeeze out who we are. It's just infinite love and infinite consciousness. Everything else is just um, a distraction or a false sense of self and reality. <laughs> yes. And it's so easy to get caught up in that in that 3D world and everything happening around us and to be so focused on mm. on this, on everything right, tangible right. in this moment. And right. I loved what you had said about, um, and I keep hearing this too over and over and over recently. So right. I feel like there's something really, uh, there's something really poignant about this. It's that analogy of the iceberg where you can see just the tip of the iceberg right. and the rest is submerged. And really the tip, this really is just the tip of the iceberg. It's a cliche, but um, this is just a tiny bit of what actually exists. And people often have trouble believing it because they can't see it. Um, and so, and I know that you also do past life uh, hypnosis mm -hmm. and, um, and healing and that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit about how you, in your work, you do help people to become aware of what is submerged yeah. or what has been submerged rather. Yeah, no, it's funny that you mentioned that because even physically sitting here today, we think we're in a chair, but we're not. We're in a chair, in a room, you know, in a state, on a spinning planet, you know, in a galaxy around the sun. So even on a physical basis, we're not what we think. And if that's the case, imagine, you know, our inner being. And, you know, if that's infinite, it has no true limitation for it you know and it's infinitely unfolding uh so you know it really really does speak to how how small we perceive ourselves versus the, the reality at hand uh, but past life regression i was really inspired by it from you know having my subsequent experiences and recollection as a young child and 
being quite traumatized with that and not knowing what to do or anyone to go with. And so, you know, to me, it's just my way of giving back, you know, that, that awareness to others. And I think ultimately we're all driving on a road and some people are on bumpy roads that you've been on and you want to find ways to help them. And to, and, but from knowing those bumpy roads, you know, you're able to have an understanding um, degree of empathy from that. And I think this, like you said, it's all about the experiential reality to be present because I do believe this is all a training school to be a guide, you know, and so in many ways. So we don't have to wait till we die to get to that point. We can do that here. But I, I found that so much of life from a near-death experience was in the subconscious mind, or you call it the superconscious, higher conscious. There's many different terms of it, but this mind that in this reality that we're just not aware of. And you know, hypnosis works with the subconscious mind, which is, you know, thoughts, events, memories that we're not aware of that might be governing our lifetimes. And they say the subconscious governs around 85% of our actions. So, you know, it's just kind of like a look at it as as the as the web of everything that's ever happened to us. And if we do believe that we're here, you know, we also have previous carnations and that would include other memories that might be, you know, helping us or going against us uh, as, as an interference or as a boundary. And I think ultimately if we want to move the needle, um, you know, awareness is key and having awareness of the point of origin, you know, to some of our thoughts influencing our behaviors, um, you know, it, it is important. So. Past life regression is great. You know, it's it's a gentle form of hypnosis. It gets people in a very relaxed state to really access the higher mind, um, you know, and to really access different memories and you know, different lifetimes. And, you know, and a lot of it is very stigmatized. It's very focused on, you know, the trauma. And that's a part of it or just you know, the negative, but it could also give us uh, a parlaying understanding of some of our greater gifts and talents and, and wisdom that we've gained within you know, countless lifetimes you know, here on earth and beyond. Because I say beyond because I do regressions and some people have memories not on this earth plane, but in other galactical forms of existence, which, you know, as a certified hypnotherapist and doing this training, you're just taught like a certain way. And I find that the ultimate education is actually working with clients and what you see versus just the general framework of what you provided within the coursework. Yeah, yeah I've heard that quite a bit. I'm because I watch, this is all I do. I don't watch TV. I watch right. the guy in networks and all that. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. I watch right. all of that stuff and constant YouTube interviews. And, um, and I'm somebody who never would have believed any of this stuff many years right. ago. I would right. have been like, that's ridiculous. But mm -hmm. there is that idea that our entire universe is one. Um, there's no such thing as really aliens in the sense of the word that they're other. Um, if there's other life forms, we're all part of it. We're all right. part of the entire galaxy and we have existed on other planets, I believe. Um, and we, and we still do. Um, and it's all just one, one big, right. big space, which I think is so mind blowing to think about. Um, so much, there's so much in there. Yeah. To, no, to, I, I, I also at the past life regression have a near death experience. Um, I held on to this experience for, you know, almost two decades. And it wasn't until I read Betty 80's book called Embraced by the Light, that I came across the term near death experience. And that allowed me to have a label. And I think if you can name it, you could tame it. And so for myself, that gave me universality behind my experience. Because it was just so sacred to me, I didn't tell anyone it was so special that I didn't feel words justified, 
you know, the, what happened. And so the, the moment of suffocation lasted around two decades in which I wasn't able to properly felt like it was right to express it. I think there was an internal awareness, but, the, you know, verbalizing and externalizing it is, is, is different. And so for myself, Betty gave me the confidence to do that. But I find, you know, within the years that I've done workshops and talks, a lot of people feel inspired, but also deflated, you know, because we come from a place of privilege. I mean, it's obviously for me to talk about all these good things, you know, but I don't want to make this a religion where people become very dependent on my experience and they've become very disempowered within their own selves. And I look at past life regression as a way for people to have a similar kind of, it's like, you know, many different paths of the amount of consciousness, but all leads to a similar unfoldment of expansiveness, you know, so they're not, you don't have to go through the trauma to have expanded consciousness of suffocation that I went through. You could be in quite a relaxed state and have an understanding of one of the most important questions that many have to ask is who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And, you know, what is some of my dharma? What is my life purpose? And how do I transform my karma, you know, my stories into my own dharma, my purpose, you know, and past life regression could really give some insight from the life between lives and going through different, uh, you know, lifetimes as to some clues as to why you're here and what we're here to progress and evolve on. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, um, and it does make to- it makes sense in in the sense of karma not being something that happens to you because you did something bad, and so something right. bad's going to happen to you. It's karma in the sense that whatever happened in your other lives, you're working through, and right. there's more of that to work through here. I did want to ask you more about uh, your personal experience, um, the I want to say the aftermath in a sense because. You were just three years old at the time, but your soul is ageless. So your Mm -hmm. soul understood the wisdom and the lessons that you were shown Mm -hmm. on the other side. When you came back and here you are just a child, did you retain that knowledge of the universe? And also what challenges might you have um, endured in terms of assimilating back to the 3D reality? And now you're this old, I mean, now you've become aware. You're not just an old soul. You really... Right. Uh, you really are pretty much uh, schooled on everything at that such a young age. And I know that you also um, were raised in a religious environment as well. So feel <laughs> yeah, free to share anything you'd like about uh, that. It, 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 it was definitely a roller coaster. Um, you know, the moment that I got out of my near-death experience, a lot of near-death experiences will just say how loving and light they were after that experience. But my experience was the totally diametrically opposite, where I was quite enraged, you know, you know, within, you know, my stay at the hospital. And my mother actually told me that I kicked the doctor because I was so frustrated. But I think a lot of that had to do with suppressed emotions that I couldn't express, you know, with how I experienced this experience. And I, I just wanted to shake everyone in the room to to understand what I had and I couldn't put words to it at the moment. You know, words were just so limiting behind this incredibly euphoric experience. But, um, you know, that, that, was, that was the challenging part. And the other part is kind of like Plato's allegory of the cave where, you know, if you're familiar with the Republic in which Plato talks about, I know Dr. Raymond Moody, Dr. Raymond Moody with his philosophy degree always talks about philosophers and their viewpoints of the afterlife, which hopefully you could get him on too. If, you know, we'll talk about that. But Plato's allegory of the cave where you look at, you know, an image of, of reality, you know, by 
you know, I, I guess I guess the background sources of power and information behind you and you're in shackles and that's what you see reality as. And I broke through the shackles of the body and I got out of the cave and I just saw, you know, how big of an illusion it was. And now all of a sudden society wanted me to be put back in that cave in that body. And it was, it was quite challenging. I couldn't look at my parents, my teachers, society in the same way. And it was hard. It was a, it was a society that I felt like I was like a PhD student reinvigorated. And now they're asking me to go back into like a preschool. And so it was very weird. It was kind of like I had your dysphoria, I guess, with my own age, where there was this inner being that I, you know, really connected to and was empowered to understand who I was. And then I had to play this game of this body of this of this being that people saw was just a new vessel when the back of my mind, I knew that I wasn't this meat soon and I wasn't just a fresh new slate. There was countless lifetimes. And so it allowed me to understand that this was all just merely a play and I was aware of it. I wasn't, you know, just, just immersed in the play without having that understanding. So the blinders were taken off and that was quite challenging. And growing up in an Orthodox, you know, home, it's, it's very, you know, humorous where I, I had my near-death experience right before the day of Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, the day of getting your soul ready for a year of manifestation and abundance, you know, and, and ready to meet the creator. And little did I know that I was going to meet the creator, but it wasn't an outer God, it was an inner God. And, uh, you know, it was, to me, it was just, uh, I love the quote that religion, you know, spirituality exists and the afterlife exists, not despite, not because of religion, but despite of it. And, you know, this to me was it put a very challenging belief system with all the rigidity and rules and you know, I just always thought to myself, how could a God be all loving and all knowing and yet be the most vengeful, judgmental, condemnation form of God, just just a nightmare, chauvinistic, like, how does that work? And, um, you know, to me, the best way I could describe it is God is very much a personal connection. As we come from that place, you know, we come from God and, you know, each person is just a ex different expression in their own unique way you know, of the eternal, of the eternal source of light and, and, and reality. And to me, I just understood that God was very much a personal connection and not, you know, a monopolization in the hands of a select holy few that would, you know, have to dictate and tell me how to get up to the path of the mountain, that I was forever connected to that, that I didn't do, need to do anything to do that. All I needed to do was remember, you know, that part and, and, and live my life from who I truly was and what I was connected to. Wow. Yeah, that's that I can just imagine. I just and even now you are so young, mm -hmm. but you do present young looking and yeah. also very wise. And I think try to keep that, my youth, you know, yeah. <laughs> skin <laughs> products skin and is, all that. I was going to say your skin is glowing, <laughs> I, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like a L'Oreal you know, commercial or I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I know when you yeah. said the year that this happened, I was like, oh, my God, he's such a baby. Um, but it's yeah. but it's funny because it must be so weird um, to go. And I and I I'm not making it about me, but I just wanted yeah. to relate that as a as a two year old, I well, I've been told too that there's some spiritual stuff behind it, but um, I was elective mute. They call mm. it selective mute. Selective too. mutism. Yeah. 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 Um, at the time, it was kind of called both, but so I had severe anxiety. I had a birthmark mm. on my face that people would notice. It was the first thing people noticed. I thought I was that birthmark kids would just little baby kids would say the mean they don't know mm. they're just saying what what they they don't know what to make of it and so 
I became so self-conscious that I just stopped speaking. And it was that child way of saying, you can't see me. Like if I have my hands up, you can't see me. If mm. I don't speak, you can't see me. And which is so interesting because that's a whole other karmic lesson of being seen and, and, and that. But um, I just remember sitting in my Montessori class all by myself, all the time. I mean, there nobody played with me. Um, I had one friend who didn't go to my school and I was always alone, but I always felt so removed from what was going right. on. And I remember specifically being five years old in my room and thinking, I'm there's something about me that's different. There's mm -hmm. something about me that doesn't feel like I'm part of that. Um, and And so I can only imagine that your experience is that times you know, a million, um, because I do remember that feeling of I'm not part, I'm not part of this world. And um, now I look back and go, I know what that was. I get it. And the birthmark mm. was just the manifestation of that kind of thing, I think. Um, so I think it's really interesting that at such a young age, how do you even process that? And also um, going through your youth, um, and I've spent some time with Orthodox Jewish families as a childcare mm. provider. Um, and I know there's a lot of ritual and a lot of um, religion. How right. did you perceive those types of, I don't know if you call them rituals. You can sort of mm. speak to this better than, than I, but how did you perceive those things and how did you react to them? And did you go with the flow and were you still happy to do them? Um, or did you always have sort of a, a different feeling about the way that things were being yeah. done no i mean I, I was a rebel from day one i never really bought into it. actually my mother told me when i was a kid i was in the playground you know ironically and i got up on top of the playground and, and screamed that your god does not exist and i got wow. in trouble and uh you know in a way it's just whatever what i was being taught was was frustrating because you know it's just i just knew you know intuitively everything was so off but for me i was able to get very quiet within my childhood. And when I had this, and I talk about this in Life After Breath, it's almost from having this near-death experience in my brain shutting down, I was really connected to higher consciousness and higher wisdom. And I was more in love with that world than this false reality. And so from getting in quiet, I was able to have intimacy with eternal wisdom from a very young age. And, um, you know, it wasn't until like I turned to a classmate and I said, do you see this spirit around you? Do you see that? And I just got you know, looked at in such a weird way that all of a sudden that oxygen was beginning to just get pulled. And I just felt like you just, just, just so alone. But I recognized from being in a place of, 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 of privacy that I felt a lot more connected than I did around a lot of people because you know, truly love is who we are and what we're forever connected to, but we forget the infinite amount of love inside of us and all around us. And I felt from being in that quiet, I was able to feel that versus the deprivation of that and the limitation of that, you know, in this very much forgetful world that was more connected to this world, you know, it really had amnesia from who they truly were. And it was, I would say the best word, it was just almost just comical, but as well frustrating to go through that lifestyle and just how everyone bought into this stuff and took it so seriously and just were so uptight and rigid. It was just very comical to me. Uh, but I, I think also understandable because I think everyone, you know, has their own degree of life experiences. And 
So I think some people come into life, they are on a higher level. They're in, they start off in the master's degree courses and other people, they're in more of the younger soul, you know, patterns and, you know, stuff like that. But they're older spirits, or younger spirits. They don't pretend to know why that is or, you know, why. But I think we're all here in a way to help out and, and learn from each other. Because I think highly evolved spiritual beings have a difficult time living the earth game. And, you know, in not all cases, some have seamless you know experiences but for me the earth game is very very difficult and i think a lot of people who are very immersed in the earth game they feel very deprived and they're looking you know for higher evolved spirits to allow them to uplift so it's kind of almost like a seesaw ride that we have where we're all helping out each other in our own unique vantage points in a way mm -hmm. i love that very much i feel like now i'm in my 40s i only now feel like because of all this knowledge that I believe, I don't want to say I'm the expert on everything, but what right. I've come to understand and, and believe for myself is everything that we're talking about. And now that I see everything as more of a, um, not an illusion, it's real, but it's uh, now that I see it more uh, as a reflection of an inner life. And now that I see that there's so much more going on, I feel like the earth game for me is now super fun. And I know you know, that I've had the luxury of not experiencing a severe trauma in this chapter of my life um, and probably not the most severe trauma ever. But um, but I think you get better at it as you as you as you age and as you learn. And I think even if you never become spiritual, you do get better at it about navigating right. the waters um, unless you have some difficulty for maybe, a, a you know, a mental illness or something that prevents you from from being able to, to tackle it as well. Um, but then also I would, um, so that was just a thought I had and you can, you can respond however you like, but I also do want to ask you about your um, intuitive abilities and what you noticed after your near-death experience and um, how they, how they manifested to you and what you've been able to, how you've been able to harness them or anything else you'd like to talk about um, mm. in terms of, why you think once you cross over people often suddenly can you know do mediumship or um healing or that sort of thing yeah you know i think it's um a lot of it like i said in order to really find our own power we have to you know be willing to lose what we think we are you know it's like the lobster shedding its own shell and so who we are is infinitely intuitive brilliant beings and I think intuition is a language of the soul and the more in touch you are with that it's not like that changes that's always there we just become more connected to it from the process of reduction and so I think expansion isn't like muscling something or you know working towards something it's just simply removing a lot of those barriers to the windows of our inner being and um, sometimes there's different shakeup periods such as an NDE, STE, um, OBE, whatever it is, but but just other times, you know, some people just wake up and it's just, they just have a, a different sense of reality, different sense of time. And, you know, their, their abilities just, you know, present themselves when they're within their own readiness. I had a friend of mine who did passive regression with Brian Weiss. And after that regression, her mediumistic abilities exploded to where now she's got a full-time practice and her clients, every single one that I refer to, you know, come away blow, completely blown away and floored. And it's just from that simple exercise of just, you know, having intimacy with our own eternity and um, really connecting to our own true nature that allows us 
to really connect to the flow of other people and to be of service. Um, but um, my own intuitive abilities really, I look at it as there's a micro perspective to it. I know within my own energetic healing sessions, you know, and I do have clinical intuition, which, you know, Dr. Judith Orloff, you know, talks about a lot within her work, uh, you know, as an empath and as a clinical psychiatrist and stuff like that. But I, I do utilize that within my work, but it's not like I give people readings point blank, because obviously with licensure, you have to you know, be, be careful. But I would say for me, I see myself more on a macro basis where within my writings, you know, just intuitive hits come to me with lessons that not what people want to hear, but what people need to hear. And so the work that I do within my writing and, you know, my talks, I feel is very much guided. And so, um, you know, I think there's a, I think silence speaks and if we're able to really get quiet, there's just this infinite, infinite flow of wisdom, just, just present for all of us to really guide not only our lifetimes, but in the way to have an impact on those around us. Cause you know, we're all here to really, inspire and invigorate the sense of knowingness in others. And from remembering uh, ourselves, other people are able to hopefully remember who they truly are from our own, you know, example. That's beautiful. It, it is. I, I, I agree. It is not adding, but taking away. You're not adding right. these abilities. You're just stripping what's covering right. them up. And I've right. learned that myself as someone who trained to be a medium and didn't mm. know that I was able to do it. And then um, it was uh, John Holland's book where he said, anyone can learn to do this. It's Not so funny. Everyone... This, yeah, it's so funny. The second you said that I, I saw John you knew Holland. Holland. Yeah, yeah, because he came to me because he was just like, John Holland always talks about living in two worlds, like, you know, this world and that world. And the second you said that, I heard him speaking about those two worlds. And then he mentioned, yep. John I, I love John Holland. He's I love him too. Yeah. He's one of, I mean, I have so many people that great, I great follow, teachers, but yeah. he, yeah. And I, I, he's, I really credit him and have told him this um, in, you know, just Instagram message right. that, um, that he really is the person that helped me realize that, oh, I don't just have to be a follower of mediums. I actually can do this myself. And right. it's, I may not have been immediately born, j jumping out of the womb, ready to do this work, but it's working and it's incredible what we can do. Um, and I have a very busy mind and I'm very perfectionistic right. and I'm a right. Virgo and very analytical you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah. I have that very analytical mind and critical mind and it's been such I think that's I attribute my current state of peace to learning how to sort of relax that part mm. of my mind and and flow with intuition and, mm. and let intuition guide um and to really do my and meditate and I know that you lead meditation workshops and that sort of thing um and I'd love to hear anything you'd like about meditation because that's another thing that I try to do daily that has really I'm just going to say the cliche term it's really changed my life right for the reason that you mentioned I just um anything you'd like to say about meditation yeah. and, and what it can for do sure. for us is great yeah I mean just, just to say I mean Virgos are some of my my, my, my greatest friends and I had a medium friend of mine who was a Virgo and he would always say you know there's very stigmatized around analytics but in a way with the mediumship you know you're getting different pieces of evidence yeah. and it's almost kind of like you're like a lawyer within a court case you're bringing up a you know a case to to just kind of like explain it so I think the analytical side you know bodes well within what you see feel and experience for the client we're able to accurately describe it where it's got to be clear and crystal 
to a Virgo because they're very perfectionistic and, you know, and clients appreciate that high standard of care and professionalism within delivery. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, from hypnosis to meditation, you know, if I'm known as the afterlife guy, I don't feel like I've done my job, you know, because I want people to remind, to remember that they're afterlife people too. And they're here to bring the hereafter to the here now, as we said, we're, and so, in a way, yes, I had monopolization as a young kid from this experience, but obviously hearing others who've had it, you know, it just showed me that, you know, there's a growing percentage of the population of end of years, but, you know, heaven is not something that someone owns. We all are a part of it. You know, it's not in the hands of some, someone else. And my biggest responsibility is just to give back the lifelessness that I experience in moments of deprivation of oxygen back to other people. And I look at my near-death experience as, you know, the, the school of life that I live my life by and giving everything that I can, whether that was, you know, the, the, the clear knowingness that I can't die and I have an infinite light greater inside of me than any challenge in front of me. Um, and so I, I just do the best that I can in any fashion to allow people to be empowered in that and to experience that on a direct basis. And I think the, you know, difference between religion and spirituality is the personalized knowingness of the experience. I think, you know, religion is more faith-based or belief-based where spirituality is more of a direct experience translating itself into a knowing. And I think meditation is a great way for people to just get in touch with themselves where you just know that you're not this body, that there's just a part of us that exists on a deeper level than just the mind, the body, you know, in our emotions, and it's just, just this deep level. And I call that the sacred eternal observer. And the more that you're in tune with that, the more that you could just laugh at the notion that once the body goes, we, we carry this part of us. And obviously we have a higher self too, but our awareness really expands when we cross over. But we just know that this part, you know, our true self is can never really die, you know, and that's always with us. So it's, it's intimacy with eternity that you get from meditation. Oh, that's beautiful. I really could listen to you speak for hours and hours because it does feel very guided. I think you're also just a very intelligent human being and well-read and that sort of thing. But yeah. um, I, I, I don't I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you're very you just say things so succinctly. And I really love the the imagery that that comes up as well. And I think that you are being so much of service to other people in in doing this work. Um, for me, that's you had mentioned earlier in uh, twelve-step recovery. Being mm. of service is one of the tenets main ways, and, the yeah. tenets. And I am a twelve-stepper myself. Um, happy to be in a. Sometimes I just want to say I'm recovered because I feel that way. But mm. um, you know, I'm a recovering sex and love addict. And um, one of the things that I, when I have spoken at meetings, is I always say being of service, being outside of yourself um, in the way that. Uh, be, being of service to others is really one of the main self well self love first self care and I that's self care in the self actualization and embodiment yes. embodiment of God and you know our yes. purpose so, yeah. and then being able to expand that out starting with loving yourself and then being of service to others because when mm -hmm. you're of service to others you can't be obsessed with your own stuff right. you know it's just um, and that's what we're here for I think so um, I love that. I, I just love that notion of, um, and, and I love too that you get to do that. I think that's just the coolest right, thing. Right, right. Yeah, no, it, you know, thank you for sharing that. You know, it, it, all power to you, you know, for sharing that experience and going through it. 
you know, but yes, I think in order sometimes to be an angel or, or to be a guide, we have, like I said before, you have to go through that experience, yeah. you know, for our own ability to open up the doorways of empathy, you know, pain and suffering could be a great way to just open up the floodgates and doorways of empathy, understanding, compassion and inspiration, you know, from, from being in that place of pain, we really just want to speak to that mm-hmm. person that much more from, from going through that. And, um, you know, you know, I, I, I think really it does speak to us as a soul. Like we said, our karma, our story. We could just continue to define ourselves with the story, or we could say this is about dharma. This is about defining the story. This is about finding ways to not be defined by the story, but defined by it. Uh, but, but to define it, you know, in our lifetimes and to make a mark. And um, I think so many people just are just in the victim mind and just rehearsing their story and saying, how could I turn this bit of pain into my own purpose? And, you know, I think everything has a purpose. Everything has a reasoning within proper time. And I think that keeps people going, you know, and, and our further belief, you know, leads to the doors of resilience and, and growth and expansion from that clear knowing that everything that we go through has you know, a reason. And if you look at things coinciding, it's, it's a mathematical equation with two angles, you know, can, you know, conjuncting with each other, you know, things are there for reasons. And that's one thing I learned within my NDE that this wasn't just a random experience, that this was such a brightly guided life with infinite intelligence guiding it. And I think some people get caught up in the ego or edging God out instead of trusting the infinite wisdom, you know, behind some of what we experience at face value moment to moment and that's what Einstein would highlight is, is the universe a place that works with us or against us and having, you know, spirituality is a part of our life. And I know Alcoholics Anonymous and recovery, you know, really highlighted spirituality within the helping profession. And I think really led to a lot of positive psychology and transformation in the field versus very being very much prior to negatively pathology, pathology based, you know, and just you know, very kind of like medical model in a way, mm-hmm. you know, versus now allowing this whole other part of spirituality to be incorporated within the helping, you know, uh, process. Uh, power yeah. To you. Oh, thank you. And you said that so well, because I think I went in there like, I am not doing this group. I, w- I mean, I was loving, but I, I definitely yeah. was not a joiner and I definitely was not religious in any right. way, which right. you do not have to, you do not even have to believe in God if you just to put that out there. But, um, any kind of higher power of your understanding. But what I, I, I love that you highlighted that because I, I um, definitely think that uh, the, the being in having that experience is actually what led me to this kind of awareness and work um, because I went, wait, miracles actually did happen uh, when I surrendered and right. chose. It's a shift that- in perception and yeah. unfoldment. You know, we are these living miracles. We just don't don't see that and you know it's sometimes we have to lose that to remember that you know just That's how miraculous right. but I think surrender is such a beautiful tenant in a in, in a way because when I I think with anyone is suffering you're holding on to suffering you're holding on to yourself and you're able to just let go of that and accept that I know that allowed me to transition from suffocation to infinite awareness in, in crossing over my near-death experience and I think the ultimate illusion is, is thinking that we're alone or defining ourselves by suffering and understanding that that is not who we are. You know, we're infinitely protected and guided, you know, past that. And I think having a belief system and knowing allows us to experience who we truly are. Yeah, I think that actually that's why I'm 
so insanely happy now because I feel so free having been through that kind of bondage right. where I was addicted to intensity and drama right. and pain to the point where I inflicted my own pain upon myself without knowing how to get out of it. Um, right. And one of the things that I find so amazing about the spirituality connection is this podcast was meant to be, it was going to be uh, an ad addiction recovery podcast, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, at the time when I was starting it, I lost my voice. I ended up with a vocal disorder. Mm -hmm. So I had lined up guests for, uh, it was supposed to be sex and love addiction recovery. And I really thought that was important to address. I hadn't really heard any great podcasts about it. And then through that journey of losing my voice, it kind of became this instead. This was what I just felt so drawn to. And what's mm -hmm. so beautiful, I can never be as succinct as I want to be, is that I'm able to, <laughs> thank you. I'm still able to do that same work but from a broader perspective, because right. honestly, at the end of the day, my belief is that all addictions stem from, actually, I think love addiction is the core of all addictions, mm -hmm. and that love isn't about people. The love mm -hmm. is about that God-sized hole in our, our hearts. And right. um, for anyone who's not, well, anyone who's not spiritual probably isn't listening to this, but, um, right. and I don't mean that in the biblical sense, I mean it in um, the spiritual sense, that we're lacking that connection with our higher self and with everything that we're made of and Absolutely. part of. Absolutely. I mean, I love what Neil Donald Walsh, you know, if you're a conversation with a God familiar with Neil, you know, he's, he, I think, I guess when he was talking about sex, he talked about a synergistic energy exchange. And I think a lot of people, not to get too, too, too personal, but I think anyone who's a healer or anyone who's very connected we just want, we, we create these climatical experiences because we're not satisfied by this mundane reality. And it's, you know, to me, like I said before, God is just this endless climactical orgasmic, you know, energy that we're yeah. connected to. And sometimes here we're very much deprived of that. And so we, we want that through the forms. The issue is that, you know, at times it could be, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, damaging. So having a way, whether that's, you know, drug addiction, alcohol, it's just this experience that we want to connect to this you know, part that we can't define. Once we're able to understand some of the void behind our behaviors, we're able to shape, sh you know, shift that behavior, you know, to more conducive, you know, routes and, you know, and, and, and pathways. So, yeah. That is, you know, that was actually a revelation that what yeah. you just said, it's, it's obvious and yet it's actually very profound that, if you, name, if you can name it, you could tame it, I say, and just I like understanding, it. like, you know, what's, what's the point of origin behind my behavior? Because we get very defined in the story and the behaviors and we're like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm not just not the sex addicts. I want climactical, beautiful experiences and I'm deprived of that. And I'm looking through that through other people. And, you know, again, it's like, you know, I think a lot of times in the new age, we're expected to be the Pope or just, you know, or just like a Buddhist monk and, you know, sex is very stigmatized, but the actual act of it is very much about, you know, the God realization connecting to that. And we recognize that we could do that without needing to be with someone else, but we could just, you know, have that through different pathways, you know, in healthy relationships as well, too. Uh, but there's a lot of judgment behind behaviors and it just, you know, uh, you know, it's not, it's just experiences and we learn we're learning different ways and more skillful ways to utilize our intentions and some of our deprivations behind our behaviors that is incredible thank you so that actually really really resonated and i believe it will resonate with others as well i think as empaths i know that connection is my biggest thing i want right. to connect deeply i don't want shallow relationships and 
I want next level love in all right. areas of my life. And keeping so it a fa- keeping a family, re- you know, related. Uh, exactly. Language, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think that actually makes per. I'm like, that's why I, that, that's why that was my addiction. That makes so much sense that the passionate ones, the ones who, who feel that greater energy and we just oh. want to find it everywhere. Our, we can. our inner being is very climactical and the other side is, and we just feel very bogged down, yeah. um, you know, in this physical body, you know, it, it can be very debilitating, just very heavy for an infinite part of our being. And it's just either through drugs, through sex, we look through these like cathartic experiences because that, you know, feeds the soul. And, you know, I think recognizing that we could do that, getting quiet, you know, getting into the sacred allows us a little bit more balance and also not, not to judge ourselves that that's what we, you know, do, do have, but I think obviously with the appropriate person, you know, allows it to have a lot more meaning, um, you know, in satiation within our lives. I love to end this conversation there because uh, it's so profound and beautiful. I could steal you for 10 hours and just keep picking <laughs> your brain, but I won't do that to you. Um, so thank you I, I, so I'd, much. Lo- I'd, lo- I'd love to do that. I could leave my day job. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I know. If do this all day and that's my life, yeah. I know, same. I mean, I actually do this sometimes more than I work and and I'm grateful for it, but yeah, yeah. You know, we, have, we have to get on with our, our lives and our yeah, day. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but I just want to thank you so much for taking the, for first of all, reaching out. Thank you for connecting, for sharing your insights and sharing your wisdom. I'm, I get so excited to share these with people because I, I just can't wait for people to hear what you have to share. And I know that they'll be touched and have many epiphanies all along the way. So um, yes, just so much gratitude. And I just wish you nothing but beautiful things. You are such a light. An honor, you know, uh, thank you so much for having me keep on doing your great work. And, you know, listeners, if you're interested in contact, you know, my website is jacobalcooper.com. You know, Life After Breath is, is available on Amazon. It makes a great gift with the upcoming holidays. And it's gotten that great is, reviews from many yeah. people that I Dr. Imamudi, respect. Dr. Imamudi, Anita Morjani, Dr. Giesman, Dr. Bernie Siegel, you know, to name a few. Um, so a couple of New York Times bestsellers. And, uh, but, but I think, you know, this book's, you know, inspiration is the oxygen of the soul. And a lot of intuitives who picked up life after breath, they say this is inspiration and that's I'm, energy. So do check it I'm out. I'm actually, I hadn't had a chance to read it and I am legitimately going to, <laughs> I, I, I'm very excited to read it. So yeah. um, I yeah. thank you for, for write for taking the time to write a book, which I know yeah. is no easy. I'm but... almost finished with my second book called The Wisdom Ooh. of Jacob's Ladder. So do stay tuned. Incredible. Yeah. Life after breath is my karma. The wisdom of Jacob's ladder is the Dharma. <laughs> so love yeah. it. Yeah. Take care, Jacob. Thank, thank you. you so much for being I here. I appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thank you. You too.